Hello, Muppet fans. Welcome to Moving Right Along, which is usually a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And once again, today we're doing something different. Our last episode was a, a bonus show covering the album Kermit Unpigged. And after that episode was posted, we heard from today's extremely special guest, who probably knows more about that album than anybody. And we're very thrilled that he has agreed to join us on this extra bonus episode. He was there at the beginning of Jim Henson Records, and he co-produced the Kermit Unpigged album, along with various other Muppet albums. Robert Kraft, thank you so much for joining us. You have that little um, audio sample clip of wild applause, because I'm used to it. (laughs) Yeah, we can throw that in. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say he knows more about that record. I would say ordinarily, maybe, but I think both of you, from if the (laughs) evidence of your podcast is any indication, know more than I do about it. Okay, well, we've listened to it very recently, so. Good. What I really like, there is a postmodern aspect of what you uh, recorded, and I think that's what made me reach out, which is this kind of interesting analysis of what was done and a lot of us thinking that was completely random oh, <laughs> okay completely yeah random. i want to find out about all that uh, stuff that because was, you oh that it's yeah. so funny you thought that had meaning that was <laughs> yeah. an outtake and an accident and yeah so it was fun to listen to the podcast simply oh i'm so glad oh great when you when you reached out to us you did say like oh i might be able to answer some of the questions but it sounds yeah. like some of the answers might just be it just kind of happened that way but uh, yeah, before we get to Kermit Unpigged, um, do you want to talk a little bit about your your career before Jim Henson Records, kind of leading up to that? Uh, no, but I <laughs> okay. can. You don't um, have to. You know, I, I uh, my career leading up to Jim Henson Records is is in itself a strange and and curving path from being a songwriter who was desperate to be a rock star. I mean, like a lot of people in my generation, I saw the Beatles and mm. on Ed Sullivan's show and thought, okay, career destination locked. Sure. I want to be mm. in a band and be a pop star. And I was absolutely obsessed with playing the piano uh, from four or five years old on um i had the great good fortune of having a good year so i was writing songs and making up songs and starting bands and all of that led to a record deal which led to i mean you know that's compressing the next 15 years but right i got a record deal in new york i made records my records were heard by some people in hollywood who said mm. can i come out and do some songs for them so i started writing tv songs yeah we noticed in in looking you up that you you wrote i guess the music for the who's the boss theme song i wrote the who's the boss theme song another ridiculous accident <laughs> um <laughs> Which it's a catchy play. song. I it really had it is. in my head all day Brand since I read that. If I told you that I got a $61 royalty check yesterday from the European collection of Brand New Life, which wow. is 30 seconds long and still generates income in, like, Bulgaria, you know, those, <laughs> those royalty statements are unbelievable. Nice. But um, all of that led to uh, a career scoring movies, producing albums, and somewhere in there, the head of music at Walt Disney reached out to me to ask if I'd produce the music for an animated film that Disney was working on about a mermaid. Uh, this was this was pretty far away from my dream of being in Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, sure. But it was also work and a payday. So I met those guys, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, and yeah. produced The Little Mermaid. And that project that I kind of was reluctant to do suddenly catapulted me into the top echelon of children's music, a place okay. I had no 
interest before was not. <laughs> and so I was producing things for Disney. I was doing DuckTales and Rescue yeah. Rangers and all this really funny, silly stuff. I wrote the music and the songs for a Disney movie called Adventures and Babysitting. And I was yeah. just out there doing this stuff. And then a friend of mine said, you should meet Brian Henson. Okay. Uh, Jim Henson had just died that May. So it might have been 90, 91. 1990. 90. And yeah. in maybe October or November of that year, I was set up on a lunch with Brian Henson. And um, we went to lunch in Hollywood. And I said to him, very kind of just spontaneously you know walt disney has this great tradition of music and they have their own record label it was buena vista records and maybe oh. there was a walt disney records and maybe at that point they were also looking at touchstone or hollywood records and they were they had this huge distribution element for all the music that was produced at disney and had for 50 years and it was hugely successful and the stuff that I did on Disney came out on that label and I said to Brian I'm surprised that Jim Henson doesn't have a record company to release Muppet music and Fraggle Rock and movie soundtracks right he said it's a great idea would you like to do it um, you have to understand that I am a full-on artist. Yeah. I had never, I didn't know how to open a record company. I didn't <laughs> know what record deals looked like. When I signed record deals, I asked one question. What's the advance? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's $15,000 for the first album or whatever it was. I said, uh, $15,000. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, where do I sign? And they'd pay me. And um, I said to Brian, when he said, would I do this? Instead of saying, I know nothing about record labels, I said, uh, sure. <laughs> you just volunteered yourself, yeah. Right. As a result, two things took place after that lunch. A, I was hired to produce the Muppet Christmas Carol, which would then become the first album on Jim Henson Records. And so I was now producing for the henson company starting their record company and actually going out to make a record deal for their record company nothing that i had ever done before wow and all that so, from one lunch yeah for literally from the lunch so good stuff happened i i went to london with paul williams and we did and yeah, like I mean, I was recording with all the Muppets in London and it was fabulous and fun. And I got back and we had this record and we had this deal now that I'd made with BMG Kids, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was their nascent kids label. I mean, when we went out and tried to sell the idea of a record label, BMG was like desperate to get in the kids business. I mean, people always think there's a reason that stuff happens. No. <laughs> um, it just happens. So I have to have this label and we do, you know, and then I have to start thinking up records. This is right. how we, we came to it. Well, one thing, so we actually just finished an entire season where we were talking about um, the Muppet Christmas Carol. A huh. question that came up there, there's the uh, Martina McBride version of When Love Is Gone. Yes. But it was never released as a single or a music video or anything. Do you know why that was? Was it just because the other version of the song had been cut from the movie or was there just not yes. any? That's that fabulous. Um, we went to a couple test screenings of the film and every time Michael Caine sang that song, the kiddies in the audience got up and went to the bathroom or got mm. popcorn or, you know, got restless. And so that was cut. We've made this really nice record with Martina McBride with some heavy hitters from Nashville, came to New York, and it just was odd to tack it on when the song wasn't in the film. Right. Yeah, it's in the credits, but then yeah, there was yeah, there was never anything else done with it. Yeah, that's too bad. 
Yeah, people love that song though, as you know. I'm sure there's been a whole. I don't know. I, I'm I'm even surprised. Did it end up in the credits? I, I feel was, like that was yeah, an afterthought. So, yeah, the Martina McBride song is in the credits of the movie, and then the song has been restored for various home video versions since. Oh, then, great! Put back in the movie. Yeah, people love it. People get very excited when when they hear that a new That's version so nice. of, of the movie is going to have that song back in it. And also, great props to Paul Williams, one of the world's greatest songwriters, for writing that score. And that was yeah. a huge asset of the entire experiences working with him. Yeah. Um, so you were just starting to to say you had to decide what kind of records were going to be released on this label. Well, I think there were two avenues open to me as now the head of Jim Henson Records and yeah. the Jim Henson Music Division which had not existed and mm. now it was me and an assistant in an office in hollywood and okay. so i did a couple things right off the bat i started to kind of put together fraggle rock stuff there was a lot of music that either hadn't been released or been i remember i started to go through kind of archival music to think well let's get this stuff up and running um I found a tape of Rolf. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because which I absolutely loved. Right? Do you know? I don't know if yeah. you know that one. Oh, but... oh, we, oh, yeah, Rolf the we... dog, old brown ears is back. Yeah, I don't we think know we it. know the whole story behind it, though. It, it yeah. was recorded in 1984 and not released until '93. Because I, going through the archives, found a piano and vocal version of Jim Henson doing all those Rolf songs. Yeah, and do you do, do you know what it was originally recorded for? I don't know, and I don't know if it had ever been released, but it was, you oh. know, eight or ten Rolf songs, which were yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. Just Jim just being so funny. Lydia, oh, Lydia, the tattoo <laughs> lady, and and eight little steps and ding, 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 whatever those songs were, they were so yeah. fun. And so I thought, and I had the added impetus of the Henson family, Brian and his sisters, Lisa Henson, Cheryl, and Jane, the mother. Oh, my God, that's one of our favorite recordings of, uh. of dads, right? So I went out and hired a great arranger, Chris Boardman, and we underdubbed an orchestra to the piano vocal. So it was just the, the piano, and you added the rest of the orchestra? You know, everybody put on headphones and they heard Jim and a piano in their cans and conductor was out on the stand and there was a band in the room and we made a whole record. I mean, it was wonderful, beautiful. I loved it. And maybe we sold eight cassettes. Wow. I mean, I don't know if anybody was interested in. I didn't know if anybody had a clue what Rolf the dog with an <laughs> orchestra meant yeah um sure. so it was i was fishing for projects i didn't know what to do okay i mean sure. i bought well, one so there's one copy right I, okay i was gonna say I, I bought one on ebay about six or seven years later there okay so that's two yeah. um, <laughs> that is that is so interesting that we don't know why it wasn't released in the first place back when it was recorded i'm such a mystery. curious um i don't yeah. know if there was an a venue to release it to in 1984 it might have been mm. just a fun thing was it the soundtrack to a rolf project or video that didn't go it just didn't get made yeah those were the kind of assets in the archives too which was this magnificent music i think it was at that point that i thought i have to do something far more kind of fun and theatrical i don't know what brain fart prompted me to think a beach party <laughs> Well, well, I was so you were a kid during the during the '60s beach party craze, right? You were a, you're a teenager yes. or whatever during that time. Yes. So, that, I mean, that's probably why, right? Like, you're I'm thinking about your own youth. I, yes. Did that? Did that influence it? Mm, maybe, but I also thought, and you guys kind of identified this in something I heard. It was a little bit of reverse engineering. I thought a TV special. Yes. What if I created the soundtrack? I mean, this is, you know, I was basically unsupervised, which is dangerous. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm in my little office trying to dream up projects. 
I have BMG kids. Everything I say, they go, yeah, that sounds cool. So nobody's really saying, man, what? how are we going to promote that or what is it? So I always thought, I don't know. It might have been Anthony. I knew those songs as a you know, teenager. But also it was, there was an aggregate of beach songs that I could figure out, you know, surfing USA and... Right. That, that sort of felt like they hung together and were kind of muppety. Sure. And so mm-hmm. and so I, if I could tell you what made me think we're doing this, and I said it to somebody waiting for them to go, I don't know what you're talking about. And the responses were, yeah, cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you had to run that by BMG and the, the Henson family? Yeah, but I think running it by was, I'm doing this, and it's like that would, they used to call an exploding email <laughs> where you would say something and wait for somebody to go, wait, before you do that. Nobody ever said, wait. Yeah. So okay. I'd spend whatever it was on those records. I mean, that was the irony is that I'd get Henson or BMG or some combination of it to pony up, I don't know, 35,000 bucks or 50,000 mm-hmm. bucks or some number of what it would cost to go into Oceanway Studios in Hollywood with killer session players and Muppet vocal takes after takes and do those songs and and then we made the record and yeah and uh, I don't know if it sold more than nine copies. Uh, that's I, so it did better than than Ralph. A little bit better than Ralph. did. So did he, one one thing I've always wondered about both of those albums is. How, who decided who which Muppets were going to sing which songs? Like, was that up to you, or did the performers have input? Or probably the latter. Yeah, um, I definitely wouldn't. I was way too underinformed to say, okay, here's the way it's going to be. I would have conversations with, you know, Muppet geniuses, of which there were a few. You mentioned Jim Lewis, and maybe I talked to Brian Henson, and maybe I talked to. Dave Goltz and goals and and say, you know, and they'd say, hey, you know who should do this or let's do this. And I really bonded with Elmo. Kevin Clash. Kevin Clash, yeah. And well, yeah, we talked about on our podcast how Clifford is very prominent on both of these albums. And well, probably because Kevin the new Muppet at the time. Yeah, he was a new Muppet. He was a really good singer. Yeah, he's a great singer. He had a great attitude. Um, I don't think I was allowed to use Elmo because no, right? That'd be a Sesame it. Street character, right? Yeah. But um, but those conversations were, you know, I'd be in the creative conversation of, hey, can we get Frank to come in and do something? Frank was, you know, so special, and he wasn't in Hollywood all the time. Though I did a lot of the dates in New York, and we'd get him to do a piggy thing or mm-hmm. whatever it was, but it was always that was a special day and we parcel out the things and how about we do this one with steve whitmire and this one so i wish i could tell you as i said there was a science to this and a lot of forethought as far as i could tell i picked some songs and we sort of filled in the blanks you know it's like a mad lib who could (laughs) sing this one yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty straightforward process. Then, yep. do you remember if there were any songs that got rejected or that you weren't, you couldn't get permission to use? No. Uh, one of the nice things about audio recording is, if a song has been released, you're allowed to cover it. You don't okay. have to get any permission. So, um, we would just pick the songs. I think it's called, strangely enough, a compulsory license. Hmm. You could you could cut an Adele song tonight and release it. You don't need <laughs> anyone's permission if okay. you were so inclined. Sure. And, um, and, and that's why there's all these, you know, fast and fast and cheap punk covers of every song ever recorded. Right. Right. Like, yeah. If you want to synchronize it to picture that you need permission for. If oh, that's interesting. You need a sync license for use in another medium. But if you just want to make a record of a Bob Dylan song, just record it. It's, you know, that's why there are 60 covers of, you know, certain songs and sure. 140 covers of the Beatles yesterday. You didn't oh, have to yeah, ask anybody. You, you just cut it. Yeah. So 
it wasn't there was no permission we did it we did some artwork i gave it to bmg i wasn't really interested in whether it sold or was promoted i was mm. so i think i'd probably have a different attitude now slightly but i just was creative it sounds like you were focused on the creative yeah, side yeah i just wanted to make a fun cool album I wanted to make the Henson Company happy and the Henson family excited. It is very fun, just an upbeat, like perfect for listening to in the car. That's so, so nice. I yeah. haven't listened to it for a while. Um, a while being par parenthetically 30 years. <laughs> um, I listened to Kermit Unpigged only because you guys did the thing and I went through it and then okay. I listened afterwards and. Oh, wow. Uh, one more thing I had about uh, Muppet Beach Party. It's all Dude. Muppets except for one track uh, with Rockapella as the singing clams doing Papa Umau Mau. How did they get attached to that? That's an excellent question. <laughs> okay. Which is my way of saying, if you'll forgive me, if I know. All right. Um, and sure. I don't know if this is a G rated or an X rated, but Rockapella <laughs> might have been a, you know, that's one of the things where it might have been Rockapella was a friend of, I'm making it up, Bill Beretta. And he said, hey, oh, we can get just, those guys. You know, it's just like, uh, cool, sure. bring them in and right. we'll make them clams. Sure. Which you always hear. That's how they got a lot of the, the guest stars on The Muppet Show. Somebody just happened to know somebody or somebody's agent. I think that's somebody, what it was. So. They One of the Rockapellas was a neighbor or a hmm. school chum or something. I could not tell you. All right. And But I'd be curious to know how they ended up on it. Okay. How's that for being a really careful conscientious record producer not knowing <laughs> anything about how the record took place hey it's been a while yeah. uh anthony did you have anything else on muppet beach party before we move on i i don't think i do but that was all fascinating like thank yeah, you i'm yeah. I'm, lo I'm loving this i really uh, i love to hear so this, this is going to be a, an obscure one too but in between i think in between beach party and unpig um there were these kermit and piggy dolls released with the jim henson records cassette tape called zing into spring do you have any memories of that i didn't i don't think i did it i think okay. that might have been a commercial project that was kind of some brand extension sure i was Muppet. just curious because there's an original song on that called zing into spring, but there's it's just called Zing Into Spring. It's very short. It's about a minute long. And there are no credited songwriters on Muppet Wiki. So I guess we have not been able to figure out. I, who... I would be very surprised if that wasn't some kind of merch play. Okay. Probably because at that point, BMG kids realized they are starting to take big piles of $100 bills and flush them down the toilet on uh, this Muppet Records thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they're starting to think, maybe we could sell dolls and find That's a song. And Well, and know. it also, the, that cassette tape, after the original song, there's a few tracks that are available on other Jim Henson Records releases. So it might have been kind of a promotional thing, hoping that people would hear those songs and then run out and buy yes. those other albums. So, and somebody has that answer, not I, but somebody right. deep in the bowels well, of the Henson. Yeah, we'll try to track it down. Well, no. Um, oh, and our, our friend, uh, Becca, who was the guest on our Kermit Unpigged episode, mm -hmm. um, asked me to, to bring this up. Um, there's this sort of phenomenon now where, because there was a music video for Kokomo, from Beach Party, uh, it was shown on Nickelodeon a lot. And uh, there's a whole generation of kids who've grown up with associating Kokomo more with Kermit than Love that. the Beach Boys. I wondered if you were aware of that at all or not one how bit. you might feel about that. <laughs> not one bit. I'd be hard-pressed to tell you what goes on in the music video of Kokomo, though I was around that day or those days. But um, it's mostly just Kermit singing the song on a beach and he gets distracted by a hula girl and Piggy gets mad. And That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I feel sorry for those kids, <laughs> but, um, I actually, it's a toss up. Cause I think Kokomo is also, it was either that or a Tom, a bad Tom Cruise movie called cocktail which is the right. origin of Kokomo. So if they're going to learn the song, we might as well have them learn it through the Muppets. Yeah, right? I think I think it's it's about, yeah, Muppets might be preferable. There was a big song for the Beach Boys, too. That was their big comeback. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right, it was. 
So then Kermit Unpigged. Uh that you produced with John Boylan. How was how yeah. did he uh so John Boylan was a pretty uh legendary behind the scenes guy in the history of rock and pop. Not even pretty. He's a legendary guy. He introduced Don Henley to Glenn Fry at the wow. bar, at the bar of the Troubadour. He was very close to Linda Ronstadt, who was also part of that Laurel Canyon, super cool sure. 70s music scene in Los Angeles. And I can't remember how I met Boylan, uh, but we started to talk about doing a record together. And I told him I had this record company and he said, hey, why don't I bring my friends? Let's get Don Henley and Linda Ronstadt and my friend Jimmy Buffett. And uh, I was like, where do I sign? Yeah. Vince Gill. I mean, dude, yes. Um, sure, I knew yeah. George Benson. Yep. Um, and then and then Ozzy Osbourne. I think that I think that's everyone. And 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 Ozzy, we got. I'm not sure who made that call, but we got Ozzy, and that was a really amazing revelation for me, which I can tell you about that day. But um, yeah. Boylan, oh, there was something in your podcast about kermit unpigged where you wondered about there were a couple things i just thought oh this is perfect i was sitting at a piano one day in boylan's house while we were making the record and i started to write a song for no particular reason well i can't get along without you uh. like a joke kind of about boylan kind of about we got to uh. do this whole thing together and i don't even know what i would be doing if i wasn't doing this and man you you know just getting don henley to sing it ain't easy being green and the eagles were you know i just were so huge john you're doing so much and i can't get along without you he said wait a minute what is that i said i don't i'm making a joke i'm just sitting at the piano p.s you know it's like move over on the piano bench and we write the song together in 30 minutes wow and then he says, dude, let's get a Muppet to cut it. <laughs> so when did you decide that it would be Robin and Kermit? That was like somehow in the next day or so, I played it for somebody. Oh, I love this. Kermit should sing it. And mm. you know who he should do it with? You know that he has a nephew, Robin? I mean, this is all all this stuff that seems so scientific and planned was I'd just written a new song. Boylan loved it. We finished it together. We had a, we're in the middle of making a record. Somebody suggested Kermit. Somebody else suggested Robin. And we cut it. So when I was listening to your podcast, and you, there was like, I wonder how they ended up with that song. I wonder <laughs> who did. It's like, uh, look up the word happy accident. Yeah. And it was just random. Wow. That Yeah, that is a quick turnaround for, for an entire song. Yep. Um, the Ozzy thing is actually worth sharing, so I don't forget it. Uh, somehow we got Ozzy, and we're going to do it with Frank. And you said on your podcast, I don't think Frank was there. You know, he That was one of our up. big questions. Yeah, how often, if ever, were the Muppet performers and the singers in the same space? It, there was a combination. I think okay. that Kevin Clash was there with George Benson. Because okay. he wanted to be, and he was in New York doing Sesame Street, and right. we recorded that in New York. Um, I kind of think that Steve Whitmire either came to see Don Henley, or whether he sang or not, I can't remember, or whether we finished Henley, sent him on his way, and then Whitmire did his bit. Herman just um, sings a little bit at the end of that one, so that would have made yeah. sense. And I cannot remember, though, I think you may be right, that we had to, these performers were doing such a favor and that we were obviously not, they were excited like all artists are to do a Muppet thing. So I don't think we were paying them their going rate. Mm -hmm. So it was like, sure. Ozzy, can you come in and sing Born to be Wild for, you know, 30 minutes? In, during your day and we're not going to have miss piggy there riffing we'll just write out the script for you so i think you're okay. right frank wasn't there 
But the thing about Ozzy that was so interesting to me, which is consistent with my entire experience of recording wild and crazy rock stars, of which I've had a couple experiences doing that, that they're wild and crazy until you get them in the studio on a microphone. Oh. And then it is all business. Ozzy Osbourne was as professional, as knowledgeable, as surgical as anybody I had recorded to that date. He wanted a certain microphone. He wanted to sit in a certain place. He wanted to double his vocal, and he wanted to double it a very particular way, line by line. Hmm. He'd finish a line and go, I can do better. Let's go again. And he basically produced himself huh. and was absolutely first class as a vocalist and as a recording artist and it was almost as if the minute we said i think we got it he became ozzy osbourne again all righty and then like <laughs> was all but when he was recording that was which is his metier i was like of course man of course he's <laughs> a total pro sure Oh, that's fascinating. I, yeah, I've had that experience with a couple really surprisingly drunk and stone rock stars who, when they're in the studio, no, man. This they is can business. just flip that switch. Flip it completely. Hmm. Um, and Ozzy was that way. He's a real pro, super pro, um, and really great singer. You know, yeah, singers, oh, yeah. Of course. singers are really interesting because in the days before auto-tune, singers couldn't afford to be out of tune. Mm. It was too hard. I mean, you can comp vocals and put together a vocal that's in tune with multi-track recording. You know, it's always evolved. Ella Fitzgerald sang amazingly in tune, and it was that was the take. Right. Ozzy Osbourne sang amazingly in tune, and it was pretty close to the take. Now you can auto-tune anything. It doesn't mm. matter. But they had to be great singers. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so then uh, it sounds like it was a lot of the the guest stars were brought in by John Boylan. And then where did the, where did the concept of the Muppets are lost in a recording studio come from? Was that you? Mm, probably not. I think it was one of the great Muppet writers of whom you probably okay. know who they were, who... I think Jim Lewis is credited on this one as well. Yeah. Right. I believe so. So maybe it might have yeah. been Jim and maybe it might have been just, you know, how are we going to do this and let's come up with it. And like any, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been part of a writer's room, which is almost heresy to say right now with a writer's guild strike, right. but you know how these shows get made friends and 30 rock and every other television show that, ever been made is a lot of people sitting around the table mm. again forgive me Bull what if he walks down the street no what if he what if he limps down the street well <laughs> why would he limp well let's back it up in the scene before he's coming out of the coffee shop i mean it's just yeah that's the way episodes get written a lot of the time lost in recording studio must have been why are these guys together oh they're in a fancy studio and unpigged I, you acknowledged vince gill yeah he said it unplugged was a huge thing at that point nirvana unplugged and clapton unplugged and so somehow that sort of we reverse engineered we'll call it unpigged and we'll make it a studio and again accidental uh just being creative on the spot recording mm -hmm. little bits I imagine Jim Lewis wrote a script that we just tried to adhere to. Do you, so uh, other than the musicians, the other guest star on the album is Lily Tomlin as yes. Ernestine, the operator. Do you yes. remember how that happened? And can you share any memories of, of recording with her? I remember you questioning that on the, uh, and why she wasn't credited and all that. If I told you it falls under the same heading as the Rockapella. Okay. Yeah. You just, it just you know, happened. Like you, you don't remember. Well, she would Lily, have had connections with the Muppet people by that point yeah, from her other and, appearances. And so. it's entirely conceivable that somebody called and said Lily Tomlin is in the office that day. Mm. I mean, unless these things are absolutely earth-shatteringly 
important and commercial. In other words, there have been events that I can tell you how Celine Dion ended up singing the Titanic song because that's a story worth remembering because it sold 30 million CDs. (laughs) Sure. And won uh, the Oscar, the Grammy, the Golden Globe. And so I'm going to always remember how exactly did that happen? Well, I know how that Lily Tomlin doing a four minutes of a voiceover or probably (laughs) 90 seconds of a voiceover on Kermit Unpigged. Totally accidental. It could have been anybody somebody sent her in and it might have been a result of this now that i think of it we need the receptionist at the recording studio to jim i'm making it up had written a line for the receptionist of the recording studio you know who can we get to do that voice and somebody said i know lily tomlin or lily tomlin does that ringy dingy right two ringy dingy thing and she's a friend of brian's or something Mm -hmm. Let's call her and see if she'll do it. So all of this is so, it could have been any other way. But um, I think the interesting thing is in Muppet lore, how much of this is consistent with every Muppet project? Hmm. You know, how, because it's not as if there's this big blueprint when you make something. Yeah, there's a movie script and you try and make it, but you have Bradley Cooper slotted in to be the lead and it turns out he he can't do it. So how did right. Chris Pine end up being the lead in that movie? We needed somebody and we were shooting in a week. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of what this process is and what hmm. the Muppet process was. We knew who the Muppet voices were. Yeah, but a lot of your questions are really good ones and are answerable by mm, that's what happened that day. Yeah, no, that's a really good answer though. Because as fans, we do a lot of speculating. Like, oh, I wonder, like you're saying, why did they choose to do it this way? And sometimes it might it it might barely be a choice. It might have just been a last minute thing where they had to. And even did Lily Tomlin get a credit or not? Could be as simple as. We forgot to put her name on that type oh. list that we sent the BMG kids. Right. Or Lily that. Tomlin's agent called and said, I'm not sure I want her name on the back of this record. You can have her. But yeah, it could it, be any number of accidents or restrictions or something. But again, victory as a thousand mo- mothers and defeat as an orphan. When Kermit yeah. Unpigged is not, you know, this kind of culture shifting record all these things just get sure kind of swept under and you can make up answers but a lot of the answers are do you remember i don't remember do you remember i'm not sure 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 well and 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 on that note you mentioned the titanic soundtrack like Mm. we we should make it clear for our listeners who might not know you produced the titanic soundtrack. yes yes (laughs) thank you well i i actually um actually it's kind of an interesting uh codicil or asterisk to this conversation i am at henson records producing these records getting some creative props but selling no records and really unclear how to run a record company and the word filters through to the chairman of 20th century fox that there's a guy who is a songwriter, record producer, started a record company, has worked in animation, is working with the Muppets, and you're looking for the new president of music at 20th Century Fox, you should meet him. Hmm. Um, Nobody said, have you sold any records? Yeah, I think we're up to 17 records sold. Um, (laughs) Is the record company a success? I think we're in the red to the tune of about $400,000, and BMG Kids is regretting the millions of dollars they spent so far to acquire this. Um, Have you had a hit? Yeah, there's cassettes for sale in Barnes & Noble, you know, the back of Barnes & Noble in a children's section. Nobody asked me those questions. Mm. The call I got out of nowhere from the chairman of 20th Century Fox was, could I come in for a meeting? And I didn't know for what. But, uh, 
yeah, to, about the Titanic, I ended up leaving Henson, fully good feeling, thank God, and wonderful support from the Henson company to say, man, you got to take this gig. Mm. And going to spend the next two decades as the head of music at 20th Century Fox making Titanic and everything, Avatar and yeah. 300 movies. I, yeah, um, I would encourage our listeners to look up your credits because it is it's it's truly an astonishing list of of all I, of the. Movies I was the guy in the chair movie. while these fabulous movies were being made. I mean, Moulin Rouge and yeah, wow, uh, you know, all these really wonderful, amazing films, um, X Men and and Marmaduke. You know, I got to work on Marmaduke. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, so we I don't want to leave out some of the tentpole <laughs> items. Sure, sure. Well, but even even putting Marmaduke aside, your 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 triumph. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out to come talk to us about about Jim Henson Records. Like, g- oh, given yeah. all the things you've done since, it's really that's remarkable nice. that you went from Jim Henson Records directly to Fox. That's quite a story. Well, it's actually there's a there's a uh, there's some kind of lesson for myself in this, which is the day that I was asked to do Little Mermaid led to a career as a film music executive that was nowhere on my radar screen the day that i answered the call and said would i do a kids movie at disney just help Mm -hmm. them with the music p.s i end up i end up you know well i don't know about kids animated movies i end up doing all the ice ages i do you know these unbelievable i robot and so many animated Robots, I'm sorry. Robots was animated. I Robot was Will Smith. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. I ended up doing so many movies as a result of Mermaid to Muppets to Fox. And so uh, it's a very funny road out there. I want to also, in the spirit of randomness, one of my most favorite discussion points, you and Becca had on the podcast about Kermit on Pig was Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. Oh, yeah. And Paul Reiser, I mean, (laughs) and Kevin Pollack. I mean, in the video, that's just so weird. And I listened to it thinking, that's funny how people take stuff away from that and just don't know. Um, I'm happy to say in all, you know, modesty, those are my closest friends and have, sure. been, okay. and have been for 20. I mean, sure. Bruce and I were, were 21 years old together in New York city, racing around me trying to be a rock star and him trying to be an actor. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, he slept on my couch when he went for a moonlighting audition. Wow. And I actually got the little mermaid gig. Cause I just produced two Bruce Willis records. Cause he asked me to produce his oh, albums cool. and they thought this guy could be, good for little mermaid he knows how to handle you know big talent paul riser's the godfather of my youngest son and wow. opened for me as a comic kevin pollock i'd done i mean so these people in a muppet video was me calling my friends to say I really need your help and sure said, makes sense some star power in this please could you just give me and to me you yeah could you guys just like well roll a camera wherever you are i don't remember where we got them and Paul, just stay there. I'm sending a like Henson camera crew over. You just need to be in this. You need to. This isn't like, would you please? I okay. need some star power sure. to try and sell records. So the thought that this was kind of a big show business strategy, this was favor time mm, okay. for me. Well, you have a very large Rolodex then because there's so many celebrities in that video. Are there? Oh yeah, I think we said uh, the Muppet yeah, Wiki list. Four, Forty-seven, like... I believe. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> I don't remember. Did is Carly in it? Did you say? I think Car- that's Car- where Carly, Carly Simon. Simon? Yes, I, I, I don't remember. I don't think so, but I think I got the idea. The reason I'm I'm curious about it is I think I got the idea for the video from the Ghostbusters video. Oh sure, yeah, which has oh. that too. Chevy Chase and Car- Carly's and in that. Simon, and yeah. all that. Okay. Can you John remind Cannon. me? Do you have there? Like, I'd love to hear. Isn't this silly? Uh, who? What other celebrities? And I, I might be able to even so, remember who was a so, personal favor. So here's who's listed on Muppet Wiki: Carol Alt and Ron Greshner, 
Sherry no. Belafonte. She was the wife of somebody I knew. Okay, uh, Tracy E. Bregman. I don't know who that is. You Me probably. Oh, David Brenner, the comic. Okay, he was a friend of Paul Reiser's. Sure. Mm. Uh, Spencer Christian and Joan London from Good Morning America. That might have been, you know, that guy you, you mentioned his name. Also, there was a great thing. Harry, whatever his name Harry was. Smith, Harry plays Smith from CBS this morning. Yeah, I don't know, but we were like friends with him and he had done a thing with the Muppets and he liked to play tuba. And went, again, it's in the Lily Tomlin category of like, hey, we're in New York. Somebody ask Harry Smith at the end of the interview that you're about to do, Brian Henson or whoever was doing it. Good Morning America. Is that the show? Yeah. Um, just ask him if he'd like do a cameo. Would you ask him if he'd do a cameo on the well, show? Well, there you sure. go, because that was yeah. Anthony's uh, theory about how Harry Smith got involved. Yeah, so total like random. Good. And he, you know, said, uh, man, I'll show up at the opening of an envelope. Yes. Um, <laughs> With two sure. Dick, so Dick Clark. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Katie Couric. Another morning show person. So that's yeah. probably the same. Phil Collins. I knew him. I was actually in a Phil Collins video, strangely enough. And my wife worked <laughs> huh. with him on videos. Huh. Uh, Dennis DeYoung from Styx. No idea. Okay. Uh, Fran Drescher and John Landis are kind of like the main stars. In the extended video. video. Yeah. I, extended. I somehow knew Fran Drescher a little bit enough to call her or get somebody to call her and say, would she do this? Sure. Greg Evigan, who I would guess Paul Reiser got involved if you know my Possibly. my two dads my yeah. my uh, my other dad other right? yes <laughs> yes um gilbert godfrey riser probably sure linda gray no idea david hasselhoff oh he's in the video a lot yeah yeah somebody knew him I it looks know. like he's backstage at baywatch in his in his scenes possibly yeah he's wearing his his windbreaker heavy yeah. d heavy d the rapper yeah oh i can't remember Sure, Helen Hunt. I, that's Riser. I'm obviously yeah, mad about you. Uh, Casey Kasem kind of like recites the lyrics. I in think his, we in got, his DJ style, right? And that might have been a like on a call with BMG to say we need radio play for one of these songs. Can we get uh -huh. Don Henley's? It ain't you know. And they can you get Casey Kasem? We'll put him on the record. I mean, this is Showbiz 101. Put somebody on the record that will get you some airplay. Sure. And, mm. So, hey, Casey Kasem, we're going to do a little funny thing in the video, and then you'll spin the record, which never happened. Sure. Uh, Ricky Lake would have just been starting her talk show around that time, I think. Somebody knew her. Sure. Dennis Leary. Kind of knew him. Little Richard. He he was the um, minister at Bruce and Demi's wedding, and so we all kind of really? knew him. Is that little. true? Wow. Yes. Yes. No kidding. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Joseph Marcel Jeffrey from Fresh Prince. Huh. Fabulous. No, no idea. Uh, no and then idea. Bruce and Demi, you mentioned uh, the Nelson twins, Matthew and Gunnar Nelson from the uh, band. John Nelson. Boylan had just produced their debut album. Okay. Uh, Leslie Nielsen, complete with Fart Machine, would be the next one. Tough call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Conan O'Brien. Um, we had done something with him and Kermit. I can't remember, but I have a photograph of me, Conan, and Kermit, and I don't remember what it was, but I'm sure I said, hey, would you stick? just stick around? Maybe Kermit went on to promote Beach Party or something? Maybe. On oh, Conan? I think there is. Yeah, I think there is a clip on YouTube of that. Yeah, maybe. and we probably, at the end of that thing, I said, hey, can we just shoot you for this video? For right, project. sure. Yeah, and then it's Ozzy, who you talked about, Kevin Pollock, who you talked about. Paula Poundstone is the next one. No idea. Lou Rawls, Muppet Show guest star Lou Rawls. Oh, he's so in that? Maybe that's the connection. Possibly. And then Riser, Leland Sklar, who I don't know who that oh, is. Oh, one he is a friend of uh Boylan's and the bass player in Phil Collins' band, one of the most legendary bass players in music. Oh, cool. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And then uh Tamara Tooney. I know uh, the name, but I don't know. There's a, there's a picture of on Muppet Wiki of her, Kevin Clash, and Elmo many years yeah. later. So maybe she maybe she knows him. I don't know. Mm, um, and then the last one is oh, there's a couple more. Celia Ward, very very sisters. dear friend of mine. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and Vanna White is the last one. No idea. I'll take okay. Vanna Vanna for 
I'll take an A. Um, <laughs> first of all, I want to say that in the um, history of the world, this conversation has never been had before and will never be had again, <laughs> which is who are the guest stars in the Muppet video uh, and where and how did they end up in it? And right. I think that's a conversation. I think there is so much. In, by the way, if we were like super spies, we could <laughs> use this information because no one would ever be able to track down. Like if I said <laughs> um leland sklar you'd know that i'm to meet you on a specific <laughs> corner in vienna um, right, right. At, a, at midnight but other than that these names and this information has so little actual value but mm. it's a fabulous <laughs> it's just fabulous debris that's, in the that's kind of the uh that's kind of the goal of our podcast it so is really yes. actual value it's, yeah <laughs> that's great doing those deep but. dives um, yeah, and then did you have just any other specific memories about any of the other stars on the record that we hadn't gotten to? Or I, I, I mean, I do know, God bless Jimmy Buffett, that he was. Oylan and I flew to New Orleans to record him. Okay, he was because he was making a record. He was making it at a studio called Kingsway, which was owned by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Oh wow. And so we went to record Jimmy Buffett at Kingsway Studio, which had been a brothel. Oh, and it wow. was this rambling, funky old New Orleans house with winding stairs that would go up floor after floor in these funky bedrooms. That you can only imagine what went on years before. Wow. And the recording studio was basically the living room. Huh. And we sat with jimmy buffett and recorded his part in spaceman and then he said let's go get some lunch and uh boylan and i walked through new orleans to brennan's which is a really famous restaurant in new orleans one of the most famous with jimmy buffett and it was like walking through new orleans with the mayor yeah Every makes sense person waved to him he'd stop and talk uh we got like hey jimmy you know from across the street and felt like people leaning out of windows and we got the brennan's and it was oh my god mr buffett right this way that was a highlight of that day was just being with jimmy buffett in new orleans um that was a really great one i mean the other stars were all wonderful george benson was cool and i was so impressed that don henley came down to do his friend john boylan a favor mm -hmm. i mean sure. i'm i'm aware as you must be that the favor economy which is what i call it is is the juice of show business you Makes do sense. favor you do favors for people and they do favors for you and you introduce don henley to glenn fry he may owe you for the rest of his life so <laughs> right. you want him to come sing a song uh you know he's gonna say yeah man but they were friends you know so you help your friends out because there might be a minute they call you and say hey i need you to do something and you don't hesitate you just yeah. that's the way it works more than money more than fame more it so much relies on good relationships and huh. so i was i coasted along with on john boylan's coattails and we went to Tucson to record Linda Ronstadt, and it was great. It was so much fun. Nice. And she was so good and great and took us around. And we met her brother, who was a cop on the Tucson police force. Huh. No kidding. I mean, right? These are the experiences of life. But it was just, the whole thing was fun. Yeah. So it sounds like the performers were not there for those two experiences. Dave Gold didn't go believe... to New Orleans, and Steve Whitmire didn't go to i don't think so i think it was probably once again too expensive and yeah. too too much scheduling just jimmy's available on a tuesday we're gonna fly down there and grab it sure we'll, sure yeah we'll make it work um we haven't mentioned wild thing yet which is the one where kermit wants to sing his unplugged version and floyd and animal interrupt i just want to say that we all loved that one as you heard in our podcast episode so I, yeah i don't know if you have any memories about that one specifically but that's that's such a fun track no, I think, um, I mean, those were also kind of how do we do this and what do we do? And that became the way we would do it. Um, I mean, I think 
delicately, I can tell you that making these records was wonderful and fun, and I loved the talent, and Frank Oz was a genius and is a genius, and Dave was a genius, and Kevin Clash was a genius. And I think the polite way of saying it is, I've always wondered what it would have been like to record Jim. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. it makes sense. Because I, you know, we had somebody who was Kermit's voice, but I have the feeling that, I mean, I don't even have the feeling. Jim Henson is Jim Henson, and there's one of him. Right, and for sure. making a record like this with Jim Henson is unimaginably cosmic of a mm -hmm. fantasy that would have just been jim henson doing a beach party and jim and frank on a microphone yeah. doing just messing riffing. around yeah yeah, yeah that so, would have been fun so uh you know that that would be my only regret but other than that the whole experience was wonderful um very very good experiences at henson kind of odd to get that call i mean i i could have been Henson for the rest of my life at that point until the call came in and i decided the right thing to do was take a red eye to london where brian henson was hmm. and get off at heathrow and go out to what was called oval road which is where the henson company was in london okay and sit down with brian he goes hey man what are you doing in london well brian um I've been offered this job and I wanted to be, I wanted to tell you in person. I wanted to let you know this is, and I've talked to the other executives at Henson and they're all fully supportive. And I didn't want someone to tell you first. I wanted to tell you in person. And the feeling was, man, that's something you can't turn down. That's yeah. a huge thing. And I think I learned on podcast from you guys that Jim Henson records didn't really continue. No, I, well, I wondered if, right, yeah, so it sounds like you got out just in time, honestly, because <laughs> it ended with BMG basically deciding not to continue the relationship, and then Jim Henson Productions ended up suing them for not holding up their end of the deal in promoting those releases. So I guess you were you were out by that time. I was long gone. I was making Waiting to Exhale at that point. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was going from Kermit to Whitney Houston. <laughs> right. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not surprised that all of that happened. And one of the reasons being that the kids business that was so huge with little mermaid and then the Muppets and then Rafi mm -hmm. who was at universal as a recording star and kids bop or whatever was coming out of all the gymboree, all those things were blowing up. The market softened shortly thereafter. Okay. Disney, of course, found its lane with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin mm. and Lion King and on and on and on. But I think that BMG Kids found out, I mean, they spent a fortune to acquire the ability to release Jim Henson records. And as they say in French, they got hosed. <laughs> they just... Well, you know, there was no way they'd ever make that money back unless yeah. I was re releasing platinum albums that were selling all around the world. And I just wasn't. Well, right. it's unfortunate, but I know for a lot of Muppet fans, those releases coming out when they did, and then just being available after, even after they went out of print, just circulating. That's how a lot of us heard some of that music for the first time. Like some of those Fraggle Rock songs, those Muppet baby songs from that album. Yeah, so those were, really, that, that Fraggle it, album was huge for me. As a yeah, kid. it really kind of kind of filled a void at a, a weird time in Muppet history to have all this stuff available. So oh, it, was, really it was great liked, for Muppet fans. Yeah, I really liked your um, assessment of those years because I'd never sort of dollied back to look at it as you have in the timeline of those being odd years. Um and I know why they were odd years. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if there's a period that you feel has an end point and something else started. But, um, you know, there was, a whole, there was a whole kind of kerfuffle with Disney and Disney buying Jim Henson. And then it didn't work out. And Jim yeah. 
and the Henson company was on its own without Jim. And I think it was a little bit of a uh, uncertain period, just rudderless in a way, without the dad and the boss and the spirit behind it. What are we doing? What are we making? Um, and I don't know if you feel that they've come out of it or they did come out of it or Disney figured out what to do next. But um, I, I never could ask even... a thousand different Muppet fans and get a thousand different answers to that. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Yep. I, I just never even until your remark, which I heard a week ago, it never occurred to me that I was sort of in, in the sweet spot of that moment. The Muppet records was maybe, and maybe that's why everybody was so enthusiastic and supportive is that behind closed doors, they didn't know what to do. I mean, in some ways, the regret is, as you identified, why don't we make TV specials? Muppet Beach Party and Kermit on Pig with yeah. stars and cameos by Bruce Willis and Lily Tomlin and whoever else. You know, they should have, if there had been a real engine there at the Jim Henson Company, I certainly wasn't. I was the music guy. Right. But if there had right. been a real producing engine there the way Jim was, maybe there would have been, hey, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do a Rolf the Dog special. Let's mm. do a, you know, all those things could have been possible, but these records just hung out there in, in the ether with no support, no yeah, other media. Sad. Yeah. Well, we're we're still grateful they exist. So thanks for your yeah. part in uh, making those a reality. I yeah. am simply grateful that you reminded me of these experiences i'm glad we could do that for you it is just wow it was a funny it wasn't a detour because it was obviously on the way to something else but i wouldn't have remembered it or thought much about it if you hadn't brought it up oh, i'm wow. glad we did and thank you so much for for being on this episode um is there anything we haven't talked about that you wish we had asked you or that you've we haven't talked about world peace so we gotta okay. <laughs> tell us everything you got yeah. um, and uh i think i think we pretty much covered it i this is more information on kermit unpig than muppet beach party <laughs> than than most people would ever expect so we have okay. done done our good deed for the day actually i guess i should ask you this you mentioned finding the ralph album in the archives was there anything else that was hidden in the archives that didn't get released that you can recall? Not that I can recall, but okay. um, I don't think they have the building anymore, but there was a building in New York. Oh, okay. That was really... That might have been the, the old Jim Henson Company townhouse on 67th yes. Street. Do they have it? it no, I it's don't... not. Yeah, they're not there anymore. Did you ever go in there? I never went inside. By the time I visited New York for the first time, they had, uh, I, I believe they were no longer in that building. So I, I wish I had been able to go in there. I think if there was anything that ever convinced me to take that gig, because when I was offered the gig, I sort of had probably a minute of, what? You know, Jim Henson Records. But I flew to New York. I was out here and there was something in New York at Jim Henson. They wanted me to go meet some people. And, you walk into the townhouse and look up. Do you know what I'm about to tell you? I know about the it balloon. The, it's like structure. a hot, hot air balloon thing. It was a stained glass window at the very top of five floors of a circular stairway that was the top of the pond. Oh, yeah. We've seen pictures of this. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. You'd, you'd look up and it'd be like you're with Kermit uh, sort yeah. of swimming around. And great skylight, you know, light streamed through. But I thought, Okay, I'm in. That's yeah. the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. The coolest thing. We had a lot of important meetings in there just because people would walk in, look up, and say, Oh, this is so cool. So, yeah. uh, but the archives might have been either in that building or in the building next door. There was a lot of great stuff. I don't remember. Okay. I mean, there might still be something. It is amazing how we still, every once in a while, they'll come out with like, oh, here's a, an old lost short film that Jim Henson made in the 60s that nobody's seen until now. So who knows? There might still be some recordings. Oh, I'm sure. Heard yet. I'm sure there is. 
I'm sure there is. There's so much stuff. He was so creative. Yeah. yeah. All right, Anthony. Anything else? No, I think that's it. But thank you, just, just thank you so much, Robert. Yeah, this was so really, it. This I went, really. I went. I went way too long. I. No. But if I don't share it, it will go to the grave with me. So I'm just glad I got to. Sure. Get yeah, some we, of this well, we love hearing all this stuff. Our listeners love hearing all this stuff. So that's yeah, I'm true. I'm I'm glad we could we could spark that spark that uh, renewed interest in you. What's really left am. of what's left of those neurons? <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, right. thank you so much. Yeah. Um. So in that case, uh, we'll wrap things up for this special bonus episode. Listeners, as always, you can find toughpigs.com on the internet. Um. Is there anywhere on social media that people can find you, Robert? Oh, sure. There's uh you know, I'm on Instagram. Okay. Probably the best place. I think uh, it's Robocraft. Oh, and you said uh, you mentioned you have your own podcast as well. And of course, I have my own podcast, Score the Podcast. It's called We're in our fifth season. I just um, actually just finished an interview with the great composer Gustavo Santoalaya, who scored The Last of Us. Both hmm. the TV series oh. and the game, and the game. Wow, I, cool. I was looking but, at the list of your guests. Yeah, that, I'm gonna definitely be listening to some of those episodes. All, all the biggest, all yeah. you know, all the all the great ones that we've had an opportunity to uh, spend an hour with, asking about all those big movies, Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer, and <laughs> wow, all of them have, uh, you know, just to talk to them about their process has been great. So. Score the podcast that's is so wherever cool. podcasts are found. And, yeah, that's uh, a must listen for, for yeah. movie nerds, of which there are many listening to this podcast. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Um, then, yeah, then that's pretty much it. Our next episode will be theoretically a bonus episode about the direct to video special Muppet Classic Theater. Listeners, you can keep an eye out for that. And we will see you next time on Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.